This episode is brought to you by Serve HQ. Train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online, fast, and easy with Serve HQ. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Welcome to Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. I'm so excited to have this guest on. When I recorded this conversation with this incredible individual, I had no idea that he would soon become a very trusted friend and a very gifted coach in my life. His name is Sean Lovejoy. He was a megachurch pastor. He's been a real estate developer, and now he leads a coaching network where he coaches pastors and executives all around the country. He's written many great books. Uh, My favorite is Be Mean About the Vision. His most recent book is Killer Teams, and he leads the Courage to Lead Coaching Network. And he and his uh, band of coaches help thousands of leaders every single year. He's just an incredible individual, and he's got a great Southern accent. So you're going to love that. Big Alabama fan. And as he would say, roll tide. Uh, so I can't wait for you to hear from Sean. Hey, as has been going on the past couple of months, Serve HQ is our sponsor, and they are amazing. They have provided all the training material you need to be able to train your leaders without them even having to come to your church for a three-hour training on a Saturday morning. You can get them prepared, ready to roll, all through videos. Either you create or you can use videos that are already out there about how to be a great small group leader, how to be a great usher, how to host people at a welcome center. All those kind of things are available. ServeHQ.church. So make sure you check that out. Well, I'm really excited for you to hear from Sean Lovejoy, and I'd love for you to connect with him and find out more about how he can help coach you. Here we go. Sean Lovejoy, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. Uh, the last name Lovejoy, what's the uh, heritage of that? What's the background? Maybe London. Okay. They, they tell me uh, no one knows for certain. I, uh, I'm a fan of the Kansas City Royals because I grew up in Kansas. Nobody ever chooses that. But they had a pitcher whose last name was Lovelady. And I thought, that is an unfortunate last name. I've been called Love Lady, Killjoy, Lover Boy, <laughs> everything under everything under the sun. Okay, so for our listeners that aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you live, what it is you do. Sure. Uh, well, I was a real estate developer, crushing it in my twenties. Okay. And uh, God brought revival to the whole church through a Sunday school class I was teaching, and then ruined my wife and I in the very best way, and. Walked off and left the family business and uh, went off to seminary, um, served on staff at a couple of churches. Then we, then we started a church in Metro Atlanta in 1999 in our living room. And it, it grew to be a mega church, but I tell guys it was despite my preaching, you know, not because of it. I, I always felt like a business guy trapped in a pastor's body or mm-hmm. maybe an executive pastor trapped in a senior pastor's body. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got some of that in you, mm. you know, and so we started coaching churches like how to get better between Sundays 20 years ago. And so then it made the second scariest decision I've ever made eight years ago to hand it off and, and, and to coach full time. And it's been a wild ride since. So we've got courage to lead where we coach marketplace leaders now. And we've got courageous pastors where we coach pastors and churches now. That's so great. Well, I, I came to know you because of your 
book, uh, Be Mean About the Vision. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, which, by the way, I have total title envy on that. That is a great title um, because it's a command and it's uh, eye-catching and all of that. Let's go back to real estate development. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. Seems like it, like you said, it's a family business. What'd you learn there that you still use today, or maybe more like you used while you were leading a church? It's funny you should ask that because it was a real motivation that drove me and dr drives my coaching even today. My dad is a real estate developer in our hometown. They call him the land man. They call him the mayor of our county which there's no such thing. They just call him that because he's so connected, you know, mm -hmm. but he had a bunch of bad dealings with would be preachers and pastors mm. who did bad business deals for him, took advantage of him, moved mm -hmm. off owing him money. So when I told him I was going to become a pastor, like that was like the worst thing I could tell him. Mm. He had, he had no worse thought than preachers. So when I, when I became a pastor, like one of the things I wanted to do is like, I wanted to change the way people think about pastors. One of the things my dad said to me is he said, uh, I ne I've never had a pastor offer to buy my lunch. Wow. So for 20 years of vocational ministry, I would never allow a business guy in our church to buy me lunch. I always bought their lunch. Uh-huh. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's one. Two, we don't know how to we don't know how to approach business leaders. You know, we're a little bit intimidated by us. You know, a lot of us pastors, we we don't feel like we've amassed a lot, a lot of wealth, you know, and so we don't really know how to approach these elite businessmen in our church and engage them. They're probably not going to serve a cup of coffee or park a car, but they have a lot of capacity in a lot of ways. We just don't know how to utilize their gift, you know, and so having been one and sat on that side, you know, I kind of got it a little bit and and really set out to try to, you know, engage business guys you know, in our leadership, inform them in our leadership making process. And, and, you know, we had a strong ministry outside the church and inside the church to business people, just because what I experienced before I became a pastor. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Yeah. I've often found that the, the guys that come out of the marketplace kind of have a leg up on those of us coming out of seminary. They've got some of that relational chutzpah or whatever you want to call it that, that a lot of us don't, um, that they don't really teach and they can't teach in Bible college. So w what are you finding um, as the negative? If you're a business person going into the church world, what do you not know that it takes you a while to get your mind around? Um, I, I think most business people, like it's all about crushing the deal, you know, and it's not always to me. It's not always easier to easy to measure life change. Yeah. You know, and, it's not always about doing the right thing. I tell leaders all the time, knowing what you need to do is only about 20% of the solution in the church. Mm -hmm. Doing it in a wise way that doesn't blow everyone and everything up is 80% of the work. Yeah. So sometimes marketplace people coming onto church staffs, they know the right thing to do in five seconds, a lot faster than the average seminary trained person. But teaching them the EQ, <laughs> part of it all and the LQ part of it. As John Maxwell said years ago, I think he probably stole it from someone else. He said, he that thinketh he leadeth and no one followeth is only taking a walk. <laughs> you know, and so teaching these guys, like we have to take as many people as we can with us. But they're not all going to go. Right. But there's a way to do this that takes the lion's share of leaders with us. Right. And, and pastors can help marketplace people that join your teams by 
kind of softening up that when you come in, you know, and so they don't, they're not a bull in a china shop, so to speak. Boy, isn't that the case? Uh, we've hired people from our board before, or just marketplace guys, and they come in and they think, oh, man, I'll whip this place into shape in about three weeks. Yeah. And they just do so much damage. It's easy when you're pay, you know, you're paying everybody to think you can get away with it. Yes. And, and, and to some extent you can, but I talk a lot about that in the book, but in my latest book, but in the church, you just can't. Right. You can't do it. That's right. Okay. So you said an interesting phrase. You said helping churches succeed between Sundays. Tell me about that. Well, seminary trains us to be good on Sundays. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything from hermeneutics, you know, to pastoral care. You know, in general, um, I started a church when I was 28. I had I had never hired or fired anybody. Mm. I had never had a staff meeting. Rusty, I was 28. Okay, we had four and a half hour staff meetings on Monday. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I've confessed that to God and my old team. You know, it was terrible. It was terrible. You know, I just made all the mistakes. I realized, God, you know, like there's. There's got to be better ways to do this, you know, and so there's so much that we were not trained to do. And in the age of the megachurch, you know, a lot of those principles that are organizational management principles, they work well in the westernized form of church. You know, that, that they're not secular. They're very biblical. Mm -hmm. They're wise principles that a lot of us were just never exposed to, you know, in our biblical training. Mm-hmm. What are some of those principles you normally have to talk about with pastors? Well, one, you need a better hiring process. Mm -hmm. I mean, most pastors go to take a guy to coffee and say, I like you. Why don't you come work for me? Here's your, here's what I think you can make. I'll starve you to death, but it's for Jesus. You know, come on to my team. And that's usually a really bad hire. You know, so it starts there. It starts like doing a better, a better systemized approach mm -hmm. to objectively assessing people that are potential teammates and then current teammates and, you know, performance and development reviews. Mm -hmm. I mean, did they talk about that in your seminary classes? You know, <laughs> no. and, you know, how, how, how to create an action oriented team and take, you know, where we, what we talk about in meetings, like actually gets done, right. you know, and all that, like over time with some really good coaches, you know, I, I was able to put some of those processes into place. Some of it came natural for me. You know, once I got just an ounce, I could like write the sequence out, you know, and we began to live it and breathe it, you know, along the way. Um, but then, you know, just discipline and work ethic and, you know, how to shut it off at the end of the day and all those things I had to kind of learn, you know, that we talk about a lot with leaders today. You know, Maxwell talks a lot about the law of the lid and how you reach this lid or the ceiling of your leadership, and you have to work beyond that. And you and I have both seen guys that get in over their skis a little bit where the church grows faster than their capacity. Unfortunately, sometimes it leads to moral failure, but sometimes it's just, I don't know what to do next. Um, coaching is such a big part of what you do. Are there ever times that you've encountered people that you think, you know what? Be comfortable with who you are. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. Or can you always get better? Yeah, good question. I think um, I the, I tell guys, you know, gosh, I'm from Alabama. We're 48th on every national list. You know, thank God for Mississippi and Louisiana. <laughs> I don't even know what my said. No one. I've ever. never claimed to have the highest IQ. You know, and they they say your IQ, like if you're dumb, you're just dumb. You can't ever get better at that. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your IQ does not increase over time. 
But your EQ, your emotional intelligence, absolutely you can learn. Your RQ, your relational quotient, you absolutely can get better at that. Your leadership quotient, you can get better. So three out of four, which are the th more important than IQ. Right. By the way. So the average billionaire today doesn't even have a college degree. <laughs> you know, and we're deemed failures coming out of high school, you know, but they're really good at the other three, you know, and going after it and get building a team and, and crushing it, you know, so um, that, that you can get better at all of that. And that's some of the best news. If you're like me and you realize you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer, like I can still get better in a lot of ways. And I have, I've, I mean, I've shown a propensity to do that just over time through coaching myself over time, knock those rough edges off and get better at those areas that you can grow in. To me, it's one of the most encouraging, liberating truths I could share. I want to talk about coaching for just a minute. I need you to help me with this. The idea of getting a, a leadership coach, management coach, uh, whatever the term is somebody wants to use, it always sounds great. But what I've discovered is it is what you put into it. Um, when you coach somebody, tell me the, for instance, if I were to say there's three types of people that you work with, you know, what would that be? And what do the best people do that get the most out of coaching versus those that don't? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's just like, you know, like overcoming images about the church. They're in, you know, they're unfair and fair images when people think about coaching or consulting. And, and out there today, what, what a lot of people are calling coaching is really content delivery. Yeah. Or it's content consumption or it's training, which I'm for all of those things. But coaching requires a relationship, and it happens best one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. You know, so that's why we've scaled to 18 coaches, and that's why we, uh, the, the, our bread and butter is putting a coach with a leader and their team for a year or more because we can make the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. You know, so the ones, the ones that, that we know are going to be most successful are the ones who have the highest rate of courage. Hmm. I always ask guys, I know you want to grow. But how badly do you want to grow? Hmm. <laughs> to me, the reason why churches stop growing is very, very, very simple. Okay? They refuse not to have the com courageous conversations they need to have. And they refuse not to have the courageous decisions they need to make. Hmm. You know? So, it's courage. It's courage to lead. It, I believe in it. I hang my hat on it. It's in my blood and my bones. You know, secondly, guys who have a realistic perspective. You know, we're not going to fix everything in 90 days. You know, so we like to be, most of my guys have been, I was just telling my wife this, we were on the way back home from a speaking engagement. I told her, I said, most of my guys have been moved for three years or more. And the longer I walk with them, I'm a better coach. <laughs> you know, but we tend to overestimate what we can do in a short period of time mm -hmm. and overestimate what we can do in a long period of time. And of course, Simon Sinek talks a lot about this, about focusing on the long game. Yeah. But a lot of pastors want the silver bullet today and the program and the package, you know, and they run down to my church. I love my church. Church of the Highlands is where I attend in Birmingham. People run down here to get, get the growth track thinking that's going to fix your church. And it's a great system. But if you don't have the right team and you don't have the right culture built to support that system, you're not, you're not going to, it's, it's not the silver. There is no such thing as a silver bullet. It takes a lot of work. And it takes time and overnight successes generally take years in the making. So yeah. guys that are willing to be courageous, I'm willing to push through the pain and are willing to take a little bit longer term approach, 
you know, to this thing are the ones we see have the greatest return on investment. Is patience the greatest pain that most of us have to face? Oh man, for us hard charging yeah. type A, for me, Enneagram eight, you know, leaders, it's it's <laughs> it's everything, you know. But I'm 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 fifty one, you know, I'm I'm getting more patient every day, you know, just just and realistic and and enjoying the journey and you know, all of that. And I, I tell guys, first of all, the two biggest lies from hell I ever believed as a pastor is one, it'll be easier when we get to here. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a mirage, is it not, Rusty? Right. And then when we hire this person, it'll solve our problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's more complex. There's more personalities to manage. So you gotta you gotta like knuckle down and decide you're going to enjoy the journey not just this, you know, destination that's really just a mirage because you're not, you're not happier when you get to there and that size and that many staff, it's, it's, it, it joys a fruit of the spirit, not a fruit of the circumstance mm. that you're, that you're in. Yes. Yeah. Joy always seems to be in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Oh, the good days. Yeah. Or what somebody else has and you can't get to. So when you talk about courageous conversations, I know exactly what you mean. And they're the conversations with the people that got you to here but can't get you to there. They're the conversations with leaders that you love but you can no longer spend time with or you have to disengage from or whatever it is. When does a leader know it's time to part with this person. Let's talk specifically about personnel. You got a person on your staff you love, sure. but they cannot go to the next level. You know it, they know it, but you're scared to have that conversation for two reasons. One, I go back to the business leader guy that comes into the church. You know, sometimes you got to dance with the devil you know. There's, <laughs> there's not somebody else out there that could do the job even half as good, even though that person's not doing it well. So sometimes you have to wait it out. But then the other fear is, is they got a lot of influence. People like that person. And you're not just firing, you know, a guy. It makes it tougher in the church. Exactly, because they bring with yeah. them their sphere of influence. Okay, so that's a long setup for the question you know I'm asking. When is it time? Well, one, just digressing one moment. I, I don't think courageous conversations just happen when you think they're not going to make it. I think they start way back before that. That's good. I had a courageous conversation with my executive assistant today, and I plan on keeping her as long as she's coachable and teachable. Hmm. Okay. So I have pastors call me all the time and they're complaining. They're frustrated about somebody on their team, Rusty. And I'll say, have you told them what you just told me? And 99 out of a hundred times that pastor will say, well, no, I mean, not exactly, you know, so like years ago, I made the promise to my team, I'm never going to go home and say something to my spouse about you that I'm not willing to say to you. That's what I mean by courageous conversation. I, if I'm frustrated with you, if you're not meeting my expectations, I'm, I'm going to tell you, not somebody else. And guess what I need from you? Don't go home and turn your spouse against my preaching. You know, come talk to me. If not, if I hurt your feelings, it's when and how often I'm going to frustrate you and hurt your feelings. So, and I won't know it because I'm an eight. So I need you to tell me, and I'm not going to be defensive when you approach me. So that's what I mean by courageous conversations. And I tell guys, if you're thinking about moving them or replacing them, 
and they would be surprised by that conversation, then you haven't been honest with them along the way. So there's all of that 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 if you haven't done that, you have to check yourself. Man, I haven't I haven't been honest enough with them. So you're not cutting the mustard, man. Yeah. You're not doing it. You're not keeping up. You're not doing what you say you're going to do. So there's there's that normalization of that process of building that last 10% culture, we call it. But then when they don't, I tell guys, you Jesus was full of grace and truth. So you have grace, you have honesty, you have the proper placement, which is important. It's a gift you give them to be properly placed within the body. And that's part of our role is to help them as their authority find that place, not just them decide it, and then pray for them. But after you've worked through that list and they're still not doing what they're supposed to do after numerous conversations, you got to make the call. Mm -hmm. And that's where the old adage, hire slow, fire fast. Rusty, in 20 years of coaching pastors, I've never had a pastor say to me, I had that conversation too soon. <laughs> now, just think about that. Not one time. Do you know how many hundreds and thousands of times I've had a pastor tell me in confidence, Sean, I waited too long. Mm -hmm. Waited too long to have that conversation. It gets more strained. It gets more ugly. Mm -hmm. You know, all that. So you got to let it, You got to let people go. They don't belong to you. They belong to God. And you got to release them. In my latest book, Killer Team, I do a whole chapter on like how to release people the right way. Mm. You know, do and all of the. By the way, I mean, a hundred percent of those with me over the years have ended with hugs and prayer, and you know, as redemptive as possible. I tell guys, if that's an easy conversation for you, because like, I don't have a problem firing people. Well, you need counseling for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, check your spirit. But you, but if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're robbing God, robbing the church. They're not walking in integrity, and you owe it to them. Yeah. And especially if it's a capacity issue, you know, they can tell they're not winning. Mm -hmm. You know, they get in the car, they're angry and agitated because you've been pushing it on them so hard and kicking them in the rear. You know, that's why they're called preacher's kids, you know, because then there's this tension that exists with the, you know, it's just, so it's just better to have the conversation mm. and say, hey, here's what I need to you. Here's the path to win. I want you to win. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, but you got to be able to do this to be in this seat. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, I love you, but you don't belong to me. You belong to God and I need to release you and I need to help you find another place. Man, that's just powerful to normalize that kind of dialogue. Right. That should be normalized. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip people for your team. What if there was a resource that made it easier? Let me recommend ServeHQ to you. ServeHQ is simple video training courses that help you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people. Check it out at servehq.church. Now, back to our conversation. Okay, which leads to courageous decisions. Now, courageous decisions look differently post-pandemic than they looked before. I mean, some are always the same. But there seem to be some courageous decisions that pastors, leaders in churches need to make post-pandemic 
maybe it's style of ministry, maybe it's online campus, maybe it's restructuring. What are you coaching guys with right now? What are the big decisions people are making in the post-COVID world? Well, Andy Stanley, you know, years ago and Reggie Joyner at North Point were the ones who first, I first heard say that life change happens in, in circles, not rows. Mm. You know, and I really think change in general is best expressed in circles, not rows. And I see a lot of pastors getting up and saying we're changing everything mm. in a sermon. You know, on Sunday or walking into a staff meeting and announcing, you know, change and I tell a lot of pastors, like, your staff is afraid you're going to go to the, uh, to a conference because yeah. you come home and change everything, you know. But it, so, so it's best to, like, begin to, to do this in small, small, small leadership circles. This is a discipleship conversation first before it's a sermon series. <laughs> and there is a way to take the lion's share of people with you. More than you think will go with you if you'll slow down long enough to explain. We walk through this 18-month internal spiritual emotional process to make a decision. And then we expect everybody else to adopt it in 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, or at best, 18 days. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> at best, 18 days. When it took us a year and a half to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where that patience comes back in. And, you know, doing it, I'm, I'm, we're coaching a huge mega church pastor, a 200-year-old traditional church. And, they're about to move the seniors out of the 3,000-seat auditorium and move the young service in there. Okay? Mm. This this is going on. So guess what he's doing? I've coached him. He's got 30 desserts, mm-hmm. you know, with about 30 in the room every single time mm-hmm. to, hey, talk out loud, room for questioning, you know, months before it goes public to get to get buy-in from these key leaders before we start just announcing what we're doing on Sunday morning. So if you'll be patient, you'll think strategically and intentionally and build a a process out, Mm -hmm. man, you can do a lot more than you think in 18, 24 months. Right. If you'll, if you'll think that way and, and take most of people and not blow everyone and everything up, Mm. but you can change a lot Mm -hmm. in 18, 24 months. It's amazing. That's so good. And you nailed it. I can tell you've been a pastor because you go to a conference, you hear the next big thing because we're all looking for the silver bullet. And we think it's of vision schizophrenia. Yeah. You know, I, I labeled it that and be mean about the vision, yep. you know, and it's, it's better to one of my coaches, Dan Ryland, who was John Maxwell's executive pastor for years and went on to 12 stone church. He said, Sean, he told me that was a 30 years old. He said, Sean, no plan is perfect. Work your plan, work your plan. And we decided our plan was a little different than everybody else's, but we learned a little bit from everybody. But we worked our plan, you know, over the years. We were very, very consistent in our plan. And it's, it is that snowball effect, compounding effect mm-hmm. over time of just consistency, mm-hmm. intentionality, getting better at what you do. And I'm convinced there's no perfect way to disciple people. Mm-hmm. No, I like, agree. We keep thinking there is, though. We keep thinking yeah, there is. Here's a new book. It's messy, man. It's people, you know. So pick a plan, pick a pick a good plan, and then get better at it. Tweak it, make it your own, and then work it with ruthless consistency. Mm. That that's where the win comes. That's so good. All right. So at some point, you start writing books. Was that after you left local ministry, or was that before? No, good question. I think I was like probably the seventh pastor in America, maybe better than that you know, that started blogging in 2003. It was like me, Mark Batterson, Perry Noble, and I don't know, a couple others, you know, back in the good old days. Yeah. 
you know, uh, when the internet was new, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, I blogged every day for four years, Christmas and Easter without a break. Wow. So I wrote content every day for 30, about 30, 45 minutes, minimum 30, maximum 45 was built in for four years without missing a day. Mm. I just did it. It was like part of my spiritual journey. Mm. And one, God kind of built my influence, but two, I had just two or three books in there, yeah. you know, along the way, you know. So when I got ready to write Measuring Success, it was all there, mm. you know. And then the rest of all of our stuff has kind of boiled up out of our coaching and putting a book and a table of contents together is a challenge just to kind of build it into a better framework and sequence, mm-hmm. you know, which then makes us better coaches again, you know, on the backside. So, so tell me about your business model, your platform. Um, what's the wide end of the funnel? Is that blogs and books? And then we move down to coaching, uh, speaking events. How's that look for you? Yeah, I think, you know, our, uh, if I, if you, I may get in trouble for quoting him, but Gary Vaynerchuk is pretty smart. You know, he's, he he's uses bad language sometimes out there. He's a secular marketing guy, but he talks about he's a brilliant marketing guy. He says you need a uh, you need a pillar of content. Like what what is your lane? You, you can do a little bit of everything, but you can have what one main pillar. I would say that I built my influence through live events. You know, primarily, and then. Um, the podcast would be, you know, probably number two. And then everything kind of comes out of that, fl- kind of flows out of that, you know, into into what we do. You can slice up all that content and use it 27 different ways, of course. Yep. So, but you, you have to, you know, everybody wants to write a book, but it takes a lot of discipline, yep. you know, to sit down and write a book. I can't believe I've written, you know, as many books as I have. So, mm. Okay, so tell me about the book. Uh, be mean about the vision. I've read it. I loved it. Where'd that come from? And uh, just a little bit about the book itself for our listeners. I I wrote it for a talk, you know, at our annual pastor's conference when I was a pastor. And it's this idea that, you know, the word in the book, I say, I'm not giving you permission to be a mean pastor. I know too many of those as it is, you know, (laughs) the word be mean, the second definition is to be intentional. I meant that as a compliment or I didn't mean it that way has to do with intention. So we, we have to be much more intentional than we think we have to be with the vision. Hmm. Um, having a vision statement is shallow, has no life other than what the leader gives it. A lot of organizations, churches have core values, but they're not being instilled and policed, hmm. you know, and people held accountable for living out those values. So it's really about how to take that vision that you believe God's given you and drill it down into every layer of the organization. And I, I wrote it for ministry and marketplace leaders. Hmm. So I had a I had a, a lawyer today has a large law office to say that his whole team had been through be mean about the vision. Hmm. You know, so it's interesting to see how God's used that. So you use this stuff in marketplaces too. It works, man. God's principles work everywhere. What do church leaders know that business leaders don't? Is it the EQ side of things? Is it the relational side of things? I think we're better communicators in general. Okay. You know, we've communicated more often. Yeah. You know, we got more reps. So, and we've been scrutinized and coached and debriefed around that. So I think in general, we're better communicators, Mm -hmm. which means we can better read a room. Yeah, that's true. Than the average marketplace. There is some EQ that comes with that. You got to know how to read your audience, you know, when you communicate a lot. 
you know, what what ministry leaders don't understand about marketplace leaders is that they don't like to be thought less of. Hmm. Like, I'm not easily offended, Rusty, but I'll have pastors ask me, do you miss the ministry? Hmm. And I just shake it off. and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I I have a ministry. It's just I don't get paid by a church for it anymore, Mm -hmm. you know. And so we we this word ministry gets thrown around. Yeah, like like it's vocation. As if you don't have a ministry, and I, I for our for our, our expression in marketplace, I call them shepherds on Sundays, pastors, mm-hmm. and shepherds between Sundays. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something about these CEOs. Like they feel a stewardship, a responsibility to their flock. Mm-hmm. These Christian CEOs, they get it. They're like, I know I'm responsible for these people. Mm. And God's not going to send me more people if I can't be good stewards of what we have now. And so it's, it's the conversations are so eerily similar. It's crazy, you know, in today's world. Okay, so I'd love for you to drill down on that a little bit because we have business leaders that listen and they think, oh, yeah, I'm not in ministry. You are. And if I say to them, no, you're a minister where you are, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I should be sharing my faith. But... There's other things too. And you oh my just, gosh, there's so much more. That's such a narrow definition. Yes. I mean, yes, you could share your faith. I think in general, you know, if we want to get on another rant, one of the biggest mistakes we've made in evangelicalism is trying to pull the trigger too quick and make it all about sharing your faith. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, when I was a pastor, I was involved in the business community, the civic community. I mean, a lot. And I rarely shared my faith mm-hmm. in terms of like trying to convert somebody. I rarely invited anybody to church. But I lived my life around the right kind of people in the right kind of way. I was in the world, not of the world. And guess what they did to me? They approached me. Mm. Hey, we're thinking about we're thinking about coming to your church, you know, this Sunday, whatever. I didn't know they'd been thinking about spiritual things, much less thinking about, you know. Yeah. So there's just so much opportunity. And then you got real people who are struggling in their marriages and struggling with significance, and mm-hmm. their teenage daughters cutting themselves, and they work for you, CEO. Mm-hmm. They're in your company. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you things they won't tell a pastor. Right. If you'll if you'll get in the right environment with them, there's so much opportunity for ministry and pastoral care, and you know, and 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 then when you have the opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, last and least, mm-hmm. to share your faith with them, you have to earn that permission mm-hmm. in a relationship. You know, they have so much opportunity to make a difference, maybe more than the average pastor. Right. You know. I feel like, I mean, I very much relate to John Maxwell today. So I, I, I have more faith conversations with average people today than I ever got to have as a pastor. Because yep. when it, when you're a pastor, there's a little bit of this when you walk up to the conversation, yep. you know, especially in business right. you know, circles. Um, but when that when you're not, you just can walk right into that. Yep. And 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 and, you, and the door's open for you to make a big difference. So there's so much opportunity for those guys. Tell me about your latest book, Killer Team. Where'd that come from? What's this about? Well, you know, we've been coaching for years around what we call the gears of growth, culture, team, and systems. Mm. And this was really an effort to sort of build out the team gear Mm -hmm. in in greater depth than we had ever done before and sequence it and really kind of build it into a job description for leaders and their teams. And so once again, it's, you know, we wrote it so that it would be applicable to um, Christian marketplace leaders, as well as um, church leaders, mm-hmm. you know, to build a team. There's a reason why the average church doesn't get over 100 or 200. And it's not because that pastor doesn't love God. It's like he's he's never been taught how to build a team. 
or held accountable to it. Never felt a mandate. What are the number one mistakes that people make when they try to build a team? Overemphasizing one of those four C's that we talk about at the neglect of the others. You know, so you've probably heard some assemblance of these. I, I call them four C's, character, chemistry, capacity, calling. Yep. You know, what we'll do is we'll, t we'll tend to overemphasize one at the neglect of the others. We'll say, but he's so gifted musically. <laughs> now, what am I saying when I, when I say it like that? You know, like... <laughs> He can't get along with people. No one He's likes like, him, but man, when he opens nobody his mouth. likes him. Yeah. So, so character, you know, the character matters, you know, yeah. or we'll say, but she has a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. She can't sing, you know, but bless her heart, bless her heart. You know, so we tend to like overemphasize it. So we talk about, we literally have charts you can download out of the book that like, allow you to objectively assess people, character, chemistry, capacity, calling, mm. so that you can be more objective and not so subjective when you're assessing either your current team or potential candidates, you know, for your team and not make that big mistake. That's so good. You know, anytime a coach, a consultant, a pastor starts talking a lot about systems, there's a portion of the capital C church that kind of gets nervous because they think you're, you're, you're taking the Holy spirit out of this. You bet. Um, yeah. How does that tie together? I'm so glad you brought it up. Okay. So probably the most offensive thing I say today, but you can, they can argue with me if they want to on an email later, but <laughs> the whole people talk about the spontaneity of the spirit. Mm. Okay. It ain't even in that phrase. I even in the Bible. Nope. Okay. The Holy spirit is way more strategic and intentional than he is spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Preach. And our this idea of the spontaneity of the Spirit has become an excuse for laziness and lack of preparation. Amen. Lack of diligence, lack of intentionality, you know, and most of the guys who pull the spontaneity of the Spirit card, their churches get stuck. Mm -hmm. And... They preach too long, services too long, can't have multiple services. Lost people don't look and think like that. You know, it's just, it all goes together, my friend. And so I, I, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us on the front end, mm -hmm. strategically and intentionally. And the beautiful thing about preparation, the more prepared I am, like when I step into the pulpit, the more prepared I am, actually the more room he has to speak yes it's so crazy yes versus a lack of preparation mm -hmm. god's i don't care how much i prepare isn't it true he mm -hmm. still gives you your best stuff when you step onto the stage that is the holy spirit because you got room right you know in in the margins of preparation for him to work and same with the worship service with worship leaders with events you know all of that and in, in, intentionality and preparation gives room for spontaneity. Mm -hmm. It's 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 opposite than, than the way a lot of us have thought and heard preached, mm -hmm. you know, by some men of the and women of the cloth. <laughs> okay. I, I would imagine, and we haven't talked about this, but I would imagine you are well read and love leadership resources, whether it's books or blogs or we'll even throw podcasts in there. Give me three or four of your favorites that are kind of must reads or must listens. Yeah, of course I read a lot, you know, in the in the marketplace. There's you know, there's a great book that's helped me scale to 18 coaches called Scaling Up. Yeah. You know, and it just Yeah. 
when I started Courage to Lead, I wanted to, he, my, my coach said, Sean, I want you to build this so you can sell it. Mm. And I was like offended when he said it. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, no, no. I, I said, I don't want to sell it. Like I'm leaving this great thing. I want to do this for the rest of my life. He's like, no, if you'll build it as if you're leaving, as if you're exiting, it all won't be built on you. Like you'll build it around a process and a framework and system. Yeah, that's so good. I got it. And I thought, why Why doesn't every pastor think like that? Like yeah. you're going to leave. So why not think from the beginning, like I'm, I'm going to leave. So I want to build it as if I'm exiting. Wow. It would revolutionize the succession crisis we have right now in our nation with all these famous churches. Some we were talking about offline. Right. You know, so that's one. The best book I read of 2019 was called It's the Manager by the Gallup organization. Okay. And it basically teaches that nine times out of 10, like when you're frustrated with everybody else, <laughs> it's you. <laughs> it's the manager. I probably have not been as clear as I think I've been. Mm. I probably haven't held people as accountable as I think I have, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I got, and I, I, I've got to get better, you know, to, you know, the, the leader is the lid yeah. basically, you know, it's the book. And then interestingly enough, the one I'm giving to a lot mm-hmm. of leaders right now, ministry and marketplace is a book called profit first. Okay. Profit first. And mm-hmm. it's this idea that we're seeing work out there with the, the as of this recording, uh, Musk just bought Twitter. Yeah. You know, he put twenty six billion down. <laughs> yeah, what is this down payment? Like I can't. What? Yeah, what, what was what? the total? Was it forty four billion? Forty four. Yeah. Not he bad still for borrowed, a... He still borrowed some money, which is also interesting. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with debt, but cash is king, my friend. For churches, telling you. Yeah. You number one thing keep you awake at light is people. Number two thing keep you awake is is is, is money. Yep. You know, what a lot of churches call stepping out on faith is really not faith, it's foolishness, you know, and mm. we 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 need to have more margin in our churches in general so that we don't feel the pressure of the weekly monthly offerings to pay our bills and pay our staff and pay our debt, you know. We need to have a way of taking right off the top some money we put back to the savings. You know, and the great recession happened, pandemic happened, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's been good for th- about a year, 18 months now. We're going to have another dip, mm-hmm. you know, and churches that are kind of have some cash reserves. Are, if, you have, if you have reserves, the churches that have come out of the pandemic great had margin. Mm-hmm. So they had time. Yeah. Others had to panic because they were living week to week to week to week to week. And frankly, it, it it made some of them victims. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, those are three non-religious books that have tre- tremendous implications, I think, for the church. Yeah. Have you read the book, um, The Beautiful Constraint? Oh, it sounds familiar, but I don't think I have, no. Okay, that's my gift to you. Uh, okay. It's this idea that... Yeah, that a restraint is not a limiting factor. No. It actually breeds innovation and creativity. Exactly. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I've not read it. Yet. Eric Geiger was on the podcast and told me about it. And since then, I, I've read it and bought it for everybody I know because it is brilliant. Because we all start brainstorming with, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Now, what would you do if you had two weeks and $10 or whatever? That that breeds the best uh, We did creativity. it. I mean, churches innovated more during the pandemic. Yes, than they had the last 30 years. Or they got angry and wanted the old days to come back. Right. Right. And we all saw that happen. Right. And then they spiritualized it and said everybody else should do the same. 
Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Um, tell us a little bit about where people can find you, because I'm sure there's people who are going to want to access books and resources that you have. Uh, I get the emails from you guys. It's great content. So where can people find out what it is you're doing? Well, I just released my fourth book, KillerTeamBook.org. I self-published this one, so I can basically give it away for the price of printing and shipping. Mm. So I've made that available there. Um, Amazon doesn't have it yet, mm. and I don't care if they ever get it. But um, <laughs> So that's that's there. And then if you're a pastor, CourageousPastors.com is the source for all of our content that we house there. And on the marketplace side, it's still at CourageToLead.com. Mm. That's fantastic. Sean, this is awesome. I so appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom. Appreciate what you've done for our listeners today. Thank you so much and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again. I just got to ask, are you a Roll Tide guy or are you hail from Georgia or something? I cried when Bear Bryant died. I was 11. Oh, you're that died in. Okay, so you were not happy when Georgia won and beat Alabama this no, last year. No, I'm not year. a hater. Okay. See, that's the difference between us Alabama fans and versus Georgia well, fans. We're not haters. We're okay. Hey, we got beat this time. You it's win okay. so much. That's why. Right. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Great being with you. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope that really helped you. Reach out to Sean and he can help find you a coach for all of our pastors out there, especially. I think this is a much needed thing that you should go to your elders and beg for them to assist with because it would be very, very beneficial for you. Uh, also, if you're a church leader, we have a new resource out through PastorRustyGeorge.com called Leading Through Crisis Without Becoming One. We take some of our darkest days and give you the behind the scenes of what was going on here at Real Life during some of the most difficult seasons we walked through. And we'll just tell you what we learned and what we encourage you to walk through in the future when these crises happen to you. It will save you a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. So make sure you check out Leading Through Crisis Without Becoming One at PastorRustyGeorge.com. Next week, we'll be back with one of my favorite church planners of all time. This guy is just hilarious, and he's also a great church planner up in the Bay Area. You're going to love to hear from Clint Dupin as he makes church planting, can I say it, simple? Anyway, he's going to be with us next week. So make sure you share this with a friend, leave us a review, and as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.